This podcast is supported by ARC, Antenatal Results and Choices. ARC is the only UK nationwide charity offering non-directive, individualised information and support to parents who are making decisions around antenatal screening and diagnostic testing. They also provide specialised bereavement care for those who experience termination for medical reasons. For more information or support, please call ARC on 0207 713 7486. Hello and welcome to Time to Talk TFMR, Termination for Medical Reasons. I'm Haley, and today I'm joined by Emma Parsons. Emma had a TFMR in 2009 due to a T21 or Down syndrome diagnosis. She is a mum of two other sons who are now 16 and 12, and she is a parent volunteer for the ARC Support Network. So welcome, Emma. It's really lovely to have you here. Hi, Haley. Thank you for joining me. Um, so I wondered if we could maybe start with just you giving us a little bit of a background on your experience, what happened to you back in 2009. Yeah, so I had um, I had one son um, who was coming up for about four years old, and uh, so I felt pregnant. And oddly, with my first son, I hadn't had any scans at all. I'd kind of very much been of the, you know, um, we'll go with it, we'll, we'll take whatever comes and I was a bit younger then. Um, but I think because my age had ticked on a bit, they sort of recommended the scans. So I was blissfully unaware, totally unaware of what news was going to come. And this is slightly different back in those days, the tests you have today. But I was given an initial kind of one in five chance of being Downs. And I remember that day really clearly. So I was driving to work when the midwife rung me. And I just carried on driving to work thinking, well, that this is all a bit odd, mm. um, but obviously, you know, really shaken up. And I then had to go and have an amnio, um, and that's when we found out, and it was, you know, all confirmed. So, yeah, really um, odd time because you sort of get pushed down this kind of funnel of, of activity then of meetings with consultants and what are my options and all the rest of it, and obviously lots of massive soul-searching as to what on earth am I going to do, all shrouded in this mass panic really mm. um so i was 20 weeks by then so again the scans okay. are earlier now um so time was ticking you know i had a bump people knew i was pregnant so i was or i was or i felt under a lot of pressure to make a decision quite quickly as it was going time was going on yeah uh so i did i think we had about four three or four days and we made it you know i made the decision um didn't tell many people i did consult a few friends people who worked in the medical field and also others who'd worked with adults with learning difficulties and that sort of thing. So I did talk to a couple of trusted people, but ultimately it boiled down to, to, to how me and my husband felt. And I guess if I'm honest, how I felt, you know, mm. that, how I was going to cope, how I was going to manage. Um, so our son Isaac was born uh, July 17th. So I went through normal labor and so, yeah, he was a perfectly formed little baby. So all all fairly shocking, really, and, and mm. fairly grim to go through. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, then I went through a, a quite a deep and heavy kind of grieving process. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I can't even remember why or how, but I felt pregnant again. And, I'm, you know, that just seems like the most absurd thing that could have happened. But I guess I was desperate to try anything to stop feeling so bad. Mm. Um, and then I have a second son who's now 12, about a year later. Yeah. 
Okay. And yeah, thanks for that, Emma. I was curious when you, thanks for also sort of clarifying how many weeks along, because I was curious about mm. that, about, you know, was this a later on scan? Mm. Um, well, you know, back in that time when you found out that, yes, Isaac had Down syndrome and your process in the decision-making, how much did the diagnosis, how did that impact your decision-making? I just know from talking to other women about a T21 diagnosis, how that, it feels to me when I listen to them that it, it feels very heightened. Um, there's an, there's another layer, I feel, that seems to be there. Mm. Yeah, that definitely seems like that to me. And this, you know, and it's in no way diminishing what other people have been through. Everyone's situation is completely different. But I think if you're initially very isolated, you know, you're you're highly unlikely to know someone else who's gone through this process, particularly for Down. So you might know people who've had a miscarriage. You might even sadly know people who've had a stillborn baby, you know, mm. or have lost children even. But, you, you know, I looked around and it just wasn't in my social circle. And other than the ARC forum, there is no way of reaching out to anyone. So that's the first thing I think very isolated. So I felt very much like the decision was all on me. Mm. So I, like I said, I did reach out to a couple of people who I knew had had interactions with Diane's children and adults. Um, I guess the added complication was that Isaac didn't have anything else wrong with him. Mm. Or maybe that's my kind of positive spin on it. There were a couple of markers, but at that point, you couldn't definitively say he wouldn't be a healthy baby. Yeah. He just had dance. Yeah. So I think it would have been much easier for me if he'd have had a whole raft of things going on. You mm. know, he's going to have multiple organ failure or whatever awful mm. thing, you know. So it was really, really tricky. And it came down to, um, for me, a lot of soul searching around how would I cope and how would my existing child cope? Yeah. Um, and, you know, what would life be like for Isaac when I wasn't around? Mm -hmm. This is quite common that I hear from other mums because there's no saying that me and my husband are going to be around when he's 30 or 40 years old. Mm -hmm. And the life expectancy for Downs is getting better and better, which in one hand is great. But yeah, I just felt a very strong burden there in terms of I can't look after him. What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, so there was that that was strong in my mind. There was the, I guess the one thing I, I still hold on to today is that that I was in some way making a choice that would be less painful for him mm -hmm. than bringing him into the world and potentially having, you know, to struggle through life. And I know other people who've got Down's children who will say that's absolutely not the case, but that is how I felt at the time. And I felt a responsibility, a huge responsibility, as you would as a mum, mm. like I can't make this okay. You know, I can't, I can't take this away and I can't guarantee that you won't be, as the doctors told me, regularly into hospital yeah, having procedures. And it has other people told me, not being that happy in your later life, particularly if your parents aren't around or you don't have a strong support network. And I just felt hugely guilty about that. Mm -hmm. And I just thought as a mum, if I can't guarantee, and I know you can't guarantee that for any of your children, but if I can't guarantee that from day one, I didn't feel able to proceed. Um, 
think it was a mixture, a mixture of things. Yeah, and what I'm, I think what I'm really picking up on is the level of uncertainty oh, yeah. and the level of what's unknown and the amount of unknown. Oh, it's it's 99% unknown. I mean, the only yeah. thing you know is that the child has got a genetic disorder, which which is not even, I guess it's life-limiting, but it's not it's not a tragedy like some other disorders are. So mm-hmm. I would say, for me, it feels like it's right on the edge of of what's acceptable as a human you know it's, it's incredibly difficult and I'm not I'm not kind of happy about that I'm not happy that that I made that decision I'm not happy that I had to make that decision of course yeah. you are so yeah it, it's really tricky and you're in that situation and you, you just you just got to go with one or the other um, and when you see the stats you know something like 95% of mums with a Down's diagnosis do terminate mm. so you've got to ask yourself you know, some of those that don't us for religious reasons or they've got Downs in the family and they're, you know, quite mm-hmm. used to it and they can all cope and they've got good support networks. And I just had, I had neither of those things. So I felt very alone in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, just on the kind of, you know, political note or, you know, what we see in the media and, you know, the last couple of years, there's been this debate around, um, you know, the 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 cutoff time for terminations and terminations for Down syndrome, for example. Um, mm. It's often when you hear it being debated from the other side, w- what we're not very clearly seeing is that level of no- unknown that we're talking about. So we're mm. often seeing a very, um, we're seeing people with Down syndrome who are living very active and full lives. And that's great. But not everybody with Down syndrome will have that outcome. Yeah. And we rarely see the other outcomes. Yeah. In, you know, media or publicly. And that is, that was definitely the opinion of the medical profession when I spoke to them. And at one point I was very, you know, almost aggressively arguing with the consultant saying, you know, this sounds like you just don't want to treat Dan's children because they're a burden mm. and they're going to cost the NHS lots of money and all this sort of stuff. And so I actually swung between the decisions quite a lot, as I think a lot of people do, in a kind of defiant kind of, you know, you can't tell me what to do. And they weren't telling me what to do. But when I talk about the unknowns, at the end of the day, you have to weigh it up. Yeah. And and if the weight is one way or the other, and that could be based on your beliefs or it could be based on I'm a very logical, scientific background person, and I couldn't bear the thought that I proceeded with a pregnancy that was somehow that I knew was going to affect that child. And I did know that because I knew that he was going to be Downs. So I knew that he wasn't going to get um, some of the opportunities that my older son had, and I knew... Mm-hmm that potentially, yeah, he was going to be in pain. And that mm. that was really hard. And I think that's what that's what finally helped me make the decision. I thought, no, as a mum, I can't knowingly go into that. Mm. Yeah, no, I think I, I'm really hearing the responsibility, the weight of the responsibility. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 And I mean you're you're speaking, Emma, very much from, you know, your decision. I'm I am curious about where your husband was at in mm. this as well. Were you on the same page as this with each other or Yeah, yeah, we were. Um yeah. and, you know, probably a bit unfairly to him, 
I just, you know, I took it on myself mm. and he was very much, and he probably to this day would say, well, I, I would support you and, you know, we'll do what feels right to you. But I always felt, and maybe it's because I'm an independent streak, but you're carrying the baby. Yeah. Right. You take the pill, the little mm-hmm. white pill that they give you. You mm-hmm. lie in the bed. You sign and you the paper. The mm-hmm. and, and that's not of no disrespect to him. But, and it's not like it was amazing that he was there and, it, you know, I, mm-hmm. I would have really struggled on my own. But that responsibility I've always felt has been mine. Mm. And uh, he would argue that it was shared, I'm sure. But Well, I'm hearing what you're saying because I, I agree with you because it is everything goes through our bodies and it's it's a very different thing for the men. And I'm just thinking about my husband and he was a very sort of, you know, supportive and will do what you think is right. Mm. And I remember thinking kind of two things at once, thinking, well, thank God you, you'll back me up. And then the other part was shit, you know, this is really all on me. Me. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's um I'm not sure the way around that really. But no, it, no, it, and I don't think I would expect it to be any other way. I mean, if the thing that was happening was happening to them, we would probably be the same. Like we can't mm-hmm. understand how that feels. And, you know, my husband's a bit older than me, so that was one of my concerns that he might not be around, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we were in our thirties, so it wasn't like we were worried about that. But we were thinking about what's happening when we're in our sixties. Yeah, 60s and yeah. yeah. So, I think people who who haven't been through this. So anybody who you know reads the stories or whatever and might think, oh well, I would do this or that. They don't realize what goes on in your head from the moment you get a diagnosis, whether that's for Down syndrome or another diagnosis. Mm. But you you go into this like fast forward motion of what's going to happen in 5 10 20 years what are what are the outcomes going to look like yeah um and that definitely informs your your process and probably the worst case outcomes if i'm honest so you know there's no kind of rosy outcome for this whole situation no so you either have a child that's got downs that you do your best for but that turns all manner of people's lives upside down and, and that may not be a problem that's that's what how a lot of families cope um or you or you terminate your pregnancy you know so that mm. isn't a good outcome no no there isn't it's it, all, all avenues are are not how you set out in the first place no. they're I, like they they're not what we would label as these are good outcomes in as in this is what you envisaged for your life and for your children's lives and so you're you're making decisions and sort of um deciding what you can cope with yeah and I decided I don't know whether this is just trying to make myself feel better but I decided that you know I would rather bear the pain than him yeah and I you know that was the only way I could protect him somehow which sounds really odd Mm. but um but yeah, I did that whole process to go back to your point about future thinking and almost what's the worst thing going to happen? You know, where's he going to go to school? We live quite rurally. Would we have to move? You know, and friends of ours do have a Downs child and, you know, their whole lives are geared around him as they mm-hmm. as it should be. But, yeah, you know, it's really a big deal. Yeah. Um, and that makes it sound like it was a lifestyle choice. It absolutely wasn't. But I just, I think you've got to know your own um limits yeah and I felt I mean you know I felt that was beyond my limits I'm you know I'm not hugely maternal person anyway 
So I just thought, oh my goodness, this poor child, <laughs> you know, I'm not the best person to look after this child, you know. Yeah, well, I'm also curious. There's a few things in there that I'm curious about. A, that you have a you had a four year old son already, mm. and quite often we are thinking about, you know, they've been going along in their lives, and you know, having another having a sibling mm. changes the family dynamic anyway. That everybody mm. has to adjust and get used to. To have that sibling have uh, quite intense needs. Mm clearly changes it again so the the thinking I'm curious about your thinking around your son living mm. son at the time and how that influenced your decision making as well if it did I think it did in terms of trying to um work out my ability to cope yeah and could I be a good mum to this child mm. and you know Harry was a really busy very you know, almost hyperactive toddler and then four-year-old. And so, frankly, I was kind of exhausted just thinking about it, you know, mm -hmm. having another normal child, never mind one with additional needs. And so, yeah, it did go through my head. A lot of people said to me, you know, oh, it's not fair on Harry, you know, and that wasn't actually how I felt because I think you get dealt a set of cards in life, right? You don't know what you're going to get and you don't know what's going to happen to you at any point in time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel as much as other people maybe in terms of, this is all about Harry. Um, this was definitely all about Isaac and me being able to mm. give him the best life I could. And I didn't feel like I could um, for either a personal reason, you know, me not being that right person, other people I'm sure would be. Um, but also just coming back to this point about him, you know, I had this thing in my head about him having to be in and out of hospital multiple times yeah. for procedures and, you know, we're lucky to have all had quite a healthy life and don't spend a lot of time in hospitals. So maybe that was my that was my fear, you know, my huge yeah. fear that he that I would have a child that was regularly in pain. And that that mm. just made me feel hugely responsible. Well, I, I mean, what comes up for me is that child, Isaac, you know, sort of turning around and going, you know, I didn't ask for this. No, I, didn't, I didn't ask to be born is what I'm thinking mm. you know that that the thinking around you know if you're in that sort of pain and it what it's coming down to is that we've talked about this before about you know this decision making process and who is it for you know yeah so you know who, who by either staying with the pregnancy yeah yeah um who is that for yeah or ending the pregnancy who is that for totally. and I think mm. depending on your thoughts and feelings on this you could argue you know, two sides to each of those things. But I think what you're speaking to there is actually, if I was to hang on and carry on with this pregnancy, that for you, that was not what was in Isaac's best interests. Correct. Yeah. That would have felt like a selfish move. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And that's why I, you know, I always say that I would rather be the one in the, in pain and I have suffered certainly mentally as a result um than him and I always think that you would do that for your kids wouldn't you if you could take the pain away you would take it away yeah. and that was the best I had in this situation of two rubbish outcomes you know it's not much but you've got to grab onto something because you're it, your head's in a total spin and you've just got to find one little nugget that says okay I can do this I'll make this decision 
otherwise I just don't know how you do make the decision and, and you know I was under time pressure as well yeah. um so yeah absolutely that trying to spare a child pain is is I guess 99% of the reason yeah I mean do you feel Emma from your own experience I don't know how many other women you've spoken to who've had a down syndrome diagnosis do you feel that there's more of a justification that needs to go on in that decision so is there more bargaining that goes on around it because it's a condition that our society is very familiar with yeah 100 percent. so um when i help out on the arc helpline i only support fans mums okay you know and i chose to do that because i don't have experience of the other conditions mm-hmm. so i didn't feel you know maybe i could help on some level we've both been through a similar process but i I specifically felt this issue, which is ultimately an ethical Mm. issue, is not talked about and a really difficult place for lots of people to be. You know, it is far more acceptable to say, you know, I lost my baby. Um, My baby had um, conditions that weren't compatible with life, you know, because then you go into the lost baby bracket, which is horrendous in all of its own ways. But it's not socially acceptable, in my opinion, to say I had a termination for that. You know, I don't know how your your listeners might disagree, but that is a very difficult thing for people to say. Yeah, I agree with you. It is definitely a very difficult thing to say in public, but I'm interested in the stat, whereas, you know, 95% of women, Mm -hmm. if they have the diagnosis, so they know, they get told this is the diagnosis, your baby has Down syndrome, they choose to terminate. So it's it's interesting in what the perceptions may be, and maybe that's true. I think there is, I definitely think that there's a feeling that can't say this because Down mm, syndrome yeah, is, it's a huge taboo. is known. Yeah. You know, I can't say it because this is known and and we we see high functioning mm. adults, children and adults with Down syndrome. Yeah. And therefore I can't say to people what yeah. happened. No, it would be really difficult. And I think if you did, you I don't know. I think it just is too scary to even go there. So I speak to a lot of women. And in fact, one of the most common things is, well, what do I say? You know, what can I say? And do you fabricate some story? Because that doesn't feel like you're being, you know, honest to the child that you've lost. Or do you just keep quiet? Or, you know, just it's just a nightmare for, for mums. And when you consider how many thousands of us there are. Yeah. You know, it's bonkers, really, that the only place you can talk about this is in, is in medical settings who who are completely fine with it and understandable about it and, you know, write it on your notes and everybody knows and all that stuff, or, or the ARC Forum or yeah. places like this. You know, there really isn't any other forum where you feel comfortable. And I mean, I, you know, I did consider and I did go along to some other meetings for mother mums have lost children and sand network and that sort of thing and I just felt completely out of place as lovely mm-hmm. as those people were you know because I I essentially had an abortion I had a termination and I mm-hmm. chose to lose my baby as awful as it sounds that was the choice I was given you know I was handed that choice so yeah it's a tough place to be and Emma were you after your termination were you 
able to talk about it. So did you feel you could say, did you have a sort of story that you said? So we've heard other people talk about, I had my A story and my B story, right. you know? So yeah, did, yeah. Were, did you have that sort of thing going on? Was Were you able to say I had a termination and it was because of Down syndrome? Yeah, or- no, very rarely. Um, you know, I told my friends and, mm-hmm. and, you know, some members of my family, but most people, certainly in the work environment and that sort of thing, just thought, mm-hmm. you know, it was a baby loss situation. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think I got quite brave at one point and I was like, right, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to tell people. And I kind of blurted things out and that ended in tears, you know, and it's the car crash. The whole that whole situation of how do you perform in a social setting when people stumble into the topic, you know, or ask you what happened, or it's really really tough. So yeah, I think you do you do have a story for for some arenas, but it's always a relief actually when you can talk openly about it mm. because yeah, for sure. I don't know many people who could, or, or not that I've come across that could openly sort of blurt that out at a party. Yeah. Or dinner table or something you know it's a proper conversation stopper yeah so yeah I only ever had one bit of um interesting it's popped into my head we only ever had one uh really negative response from somebody we were on holiday in Florida and um we were having a meal with a couple that my husband knew quite well and and he reacted really badly and I don't think we even got to the dance bit I think it was just determination mm. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know how we got into the story, but I was pregnant again and somehow it came up. So, yeah, and that's your fear, I guess, is that you're going to walk into a hornet's nest reaction from somebody. So you just don't, you just just don't risk it. Yeah, protect yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, I want to get back to your friend who has a child with Down syndrome. Do they Mm. know? Oh, yeah. They yeah. do. Okay. So, and how tell me about that because that's quite interesting. Yeah. So they're great friends and they had a false negative or false positive. How does that work? Their their scan wasn't um conclusive. So they didn't know his dad when he was born. So they were they didn't knowingly they didn't knowingly go ahead with the pregnancy. They just yeah, he was born and uh, after a few days the doctors told them that he was down. Okay. So, so yeah, completely. So different situation, and um, luckily for that little boy who is an absolute gem, he's lovely. You know, they are the most supportive family ever. And um, mum has a a kind of medical physio background, so she's mm. able, very more than able to cope uh, with his medical needs. You know, so how were they? You know, we we kind of. We didn't skirt around it because they were such good friends. We don't see them a lot. We live a couple of hours away, but um, but yeah, lots of tears and hugging and no judgment, really. Yeah, that's really lovely because I mean, it's nice to hear. I think you know, again, I'm just speaking from when you when these things crop up in the media or when if people are on social media and they're talking about it, whatever, and. Very rarely do you hear from the people who have a child Mm -hmm. with Down syndrome and who will say, of course, I love my child Mm -hmm. and this is a difficult thing to live with and requires a Mm -hmm. lot of support and, 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 and. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I would say, the kind of realistic and compassionate response 
So you rarely see that. So it's really nice to hear. Yeah, no, no, 100% compassionate. And I think, yeah. you know, your friends who love you wouldn't judge you anyway, I guess. And, that you know, the situation with the guy in, in the States, we didn't know, know him that well. But no, absolutely no judgment. And again, I think, you know, ultimately, we've both been dealt a shitty hand of cards, yeah. you know, and just in different ways. And actually, yeah, something that the, the mum said at the time was we're just two sides of the same coin. Yes. You know, we've basically flipped a coin. Yes. So it can happen to anyone. It could happen to me. It can happen to them. Could have been the res- the reverse because I didn't have any scans with Harry. So Harry mm-hmm. could have been the Downs baby. We were like literally one egg away, <laughs> yeah. one pregnancy away. So no, so absolutely no judgment. And yeah, I think that would be an interesting to- story to tell. But you know, if if you're growing up and you're you've got a Downs child, you're not going to you're not going to know how it feels from the other person's side because you've only exactly. Got- your lived experience and you're doing, you know, doing the best job you can, basically. Exactly. And I and I've often said and thought, you know, okay, but both of those sides, so both you and your friend, you love your children. Oh yeah. You love your child. And it's just as you said, you're on the two different sides of the coin and um you're dealing with what you are dealing with and coping with. And it can happen to anyone. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's why there's no room to judge anyone, you know, what decision they take. Um, It's unfortunate that people are so judgmental. I think that's Mm -hmm. what stops a lot of people being able to speak out. Yeah. But that's where we are in, you know, at the moment in society. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to change gear a little bit, still on the subject of sort of children. I was, I'm interested in, you know, your two living sons Mm -hmm. And yeah, what they know hmm. or make of what happened. Yeah, so they Isaac. know um, they know Isaac is their brother. Um, we visit the creme where he we have a little memorial. Um, uh, there's a book, a memory book. So on his birthday, that's opened. So we have a you know inscription there. So we do that you know regularly as a family. Um, as they've got a little bit older, so they're 16 and 12, when things come up, so if Downs, I don't know, what the news or on the telly or something, mm. I might say to my eldest, oh, you know, that's what Isaac had. And he'll go, I know, mum, yeah, I know. But we haven't gone into it in any more detail. Mm. Um, I think I've said things like, you know, he wasn't very well and, you know, we had to make a decision. I don't lie. I, I kind of refuse to lie, mm. but I'm definitely conservative with the truth. Well, I think with children, it's sort of answer the question. Yeah. Don't give more than what they're asking. Yeah. For. They'll get there in their own way. Yeah. So I don't yeah. say things like, oh, he passed away. He was never going to make yeah. it. Or, you know, we lost him. And, you know, I don't say that. I just say it was a really difficult time. And, mm. you know, he he had downs. And unfortunately you know, he's not with us and all those sorts of things. So yeah, maybe it's a bit skirting around it, but, you know, it's about looking after them. And I, I felt um, that I will tell them what they need to know when they need to know it. Yeah. You know, so if one of them comes to me when hopefully if they ever have children and says, oh, mum, we're not going to have scans. We've decided against it. You know, they will know about it then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And interestingly, a friend of mine, uh, she's no longer with us, sadly, but um, she rang me after it all happened. And um, 
She told me that how she'd lost a baby. She fell down the stairs when she was pregnant and she was in her 70s by this point. And she said, I've never really told anybody, you know, mm-hmm. obviously her and her husband knew and whatever. And so, you know, even that was amazing. You know, I think women particularly mm-hmm. need to almost, you know, grasp those occasions and somehow reach out to each other and just say, look, I know how this feels. Mm-hmm. Because it's just not, you know, you just don't get many opportunities to to share those feelings. Um, so I have done that. I've, I've had situations, two situations work-wise since where sadly people have had, you know, terminations for complications. And whilst I haven't gone into any detail, I've definitely reached out to that person and giving them that knowing, mm. that knowing look, I know what you're going through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, I think that's the only way you can kind of make some good out of this whole situation really. Yeah, well, it's going back to that uh, loneliness and isolation. It's um, trying to ease that feeling for someone else. And sometimes it's enough to just know, like, you really aren't on your own here, that even if even if that person doesn't come and talk about it with you or exactly. anything, they just know that you are there. You're not, they're not on their own. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's an incredibly lonely place to be. Yeah. And it doesn't go away, you know. Yeah. I mean, it gets easier. It certainly gets easier, um, but it, it really doesn't go away. Mm. So, yeah, just being able to talk about it is, mm. and know that you are, you're not some evil person that's made this choice, you know, that other people wouldn't make. Because, you know, you just feel an enormous amount of guilt and, well, they call it the burden of choice. You know, you yeah. wish, just wish you didn't have the choice. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't ask for it. This is not how. This is no. not. You didn't go into the pregnancy going. This is this is a choice that I'm going to be given, you know, or or presented with. It's it's never on anybody's radar until suddenly they're in that situation. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm interested, Emma, in your. You know, we talked that you had your TFMR in 2009. I'm sure the language even TFMR wasn't even there back then. No. Um, and I'm interested in you know over these. 14 years mm. how your grief has changed mm. how you have coped with the change in your grief I guess over these wow. last yeah and it's so interesting to reflect on that so I could almost sort of break it down into chunks really but mm. I had quite a difficult time after I had my youngest son mm-hmm. so I think on reflection you know I went into that very quickly kind of trying to solve a problem and then I probably had, although I wasn't diagnosed, partly because I was just, I just wouldn't have ever admitted it, I guess. I think I probably had postnatal depression. I was very, very low um, after that. And and the best way I can describe it is, is actually just a roller coaster. So I've had mm-hmm. intense and months of being very angry, mm-hmm. you know, and, and wanting to end my marriage and wanting to you know move away from the whole thing and just start again and and angry with the world and you know mm. so I've definitely had as much anger as I have grief in some ways but now I mm, recognize yeah. that it's the same thing right it's the yeah. same manifestation thing. of yeah. yeah and then I had very very low times and you know particularly related to another pregnancy and it wasn't anything to do actually with Lewis being born he's an amazing baby and it wasn't I think it was just purely the hormones and just feeling like I hadn't resolved this mentally. I'd gone. Mm. And so it is a classic thing. If if you don't work through it, it's going to probably come back and bite you sometime. And it did. 
And then I kind of slowly came out of that. And when I say, and I almost don't like to say this to mums, and everyone's different, I completely accept that, but I think it was probably four or five years mm. until I started feeling human again. Yeah. And, you know, if if I talk to someone on the helpline and they've had a termination three weeks ago, that is probably the most terrifying thing you could ever say, so I don't. Mm. But if I talk to someone and I do occasionally get mums who are like, look, this was three years ago and I'm still not feeling good, then I completely know how that feels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'd agree. Kind of like an outer world experience, like you're not operating in your own uh, mind, really. No, I mean, on a sort of psychological point, um, you know, one thing that definitely happens in these sorts of traumatic situations for most people is a fragmentation. And so you you do, you split, you fragment. And so that's part of the process of this grieving and the time that it takes is for that gathering to start to happen again is to kind of pull all those pieces back together and start to kind of build build the new person really um, oh totally and you, you are know. a new person you know you're a, or you're a different person yeah and your triggers are different and your ability to not cry at the drop of a hat and all mm. those things and you do you know there's loads of i guess useful analogies like you're carrying a rucksack around and it gets lighter and lighter mm. things do get a little bit easier you you've got coping mechanisms but you still get really triggered by things and mm. you know we were talking earlier about Roe versus Wade mm. you know I went right back into one and and what I mean by that is up at midnight reading Google yeah. you know reading massive medical research papers you know just just right into this like intense I need to know more and obviously the, the science has moved on a little bit since my termination. And so I'm constantly looking to see, you know, have they found it yet? Have they found a solution? Have they, you know, to justify what I did, you know, to sort of go, this wasn't your fault. Um, they don't know what causes stands, for example. I've, always, I've asked everybody I can ask, you know, yeah, uh, just to somehow justify that it wasn't my fault. Um and and also, I'll be really honest with you, I'm sort of in this phase now, with, again, with the political situation where I, you know, I think things could change even in my lifetime. And that yeah. kind of terrifies me that I'll, I'll be of some sort of generation that did the wrong thing. What um, do you mean by that? Yeah, so I kind of I have a fear that at some point what I did, the termination that I had will mm. be illegal. Oh, okay, that the laws may be changed. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, and and I'm not. I don't have a fear about going to prison or anything like that. No, no, I no. Have a fear that I will be judged as making that laws uh, will be changed to yeah. then view what will happen to you in the light of this is wrong. Yeah, that's an in, unethical thing to do. Right. Okay. And you know, I, I'm quite an ethical person. I'm. Yeah. You know, I have strong values about things, um, and so that that really terrifies me that uh, mm. that effectively I'll be judged. Well, we're getting into like if we're going to get into those sorts of ethics. I mean, the other side of that ethics is: is it right? Is it ethical to force a woman to carry on with a pregnancy that she does not want to carry on with for whatever reason? So we could get into those sorts of, of ethics as well. Um, but I hear what you're saying that you know, if somebody, if laws were to be changed, I mean, this was talked about sort of this time yeah. last year, maybe the year before. I can't remember the Heidi Crowther case, but you know, where people have been talking about stopping the ability to have a termination for a Down syndrome diagnosis, for example. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that might bring out my activist side if that does come up. You know, mm -hmm. and I do, I do feel like 
I've got something in me to sort of say, look, I have this lived experience. And mm. I, I just, I feel that the thousands of mums that are out there, you know, don't really have a voice. And um, mm. yeah, I think that's partly why, you know, it's it's um, such a taboo because it's not talked about at all, is it? Yeah, no, it's 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 not. And um, there's many reasons for that. And that's why I really appreciate you coming and and speaking and being very open. I um I at the end of our episodes we always do these um TFMR takeaways and I wondered if you would offer a piece of advice for another mum another parent who's had a TFMR for T21 down syndrome I think my advice would be to um, in fact, I do say this to people to wrap themselves up in cotton wool because they've been through a huge trauma mm. and to recognise, I guess that's the one thing actually, if society recognised what a trauma it was for the mum, mm. maybe that would be okay. In the same way as we now recognise that mental health is a, is a you know a thing and that you need to recover and, you you know, all those postnatal depression and all those sorts of things. Um but I still meet a lot of mums who feel like they need to bounce back in three or four weeks. And I just would say you've been through a massive trauma, whether or not you've got post-traumatic stress or not, that's what it's like. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like a car crash and a mental breakdown all at once. (laughs) Well, it was for me. Yeah. Um, And you're trying to keep the family together and a job down and all that sort of stuff. You know, if you have a car crash and a mental breakdown, you will be off work <laughs> for a yeah. long time. So, so I guess that's the only thing is to is to wrap yourself in cotton wool and just go. This really crap things happened to me, and it's going to take me a long time to be back to normal. Mm. And maybe just give me some space. Um, I think that would be my my best advice because there's no way there's no right way to handle this. People might handle grief differently. They handle, you know families differently everything relationships um but you know this whole thing about being able to cope and being able to bounce back and being somehow dynamic it's just so it's just so unhelpful um well it's really unkind to yourself it is but it's the expectation on 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 women who are usually juggling work and family anyway who are already under a load of stress and pressure and as we started the podcast today you know you might have support from home but you go to bed and you are on your own in Mm. in your own head you know and not only that you're physically your body's recovering from pregnancy or whatever you've had you know procedures you might have been through and um yeah it's a really lonely place so I guess two things one is try and reach out try and reach out to to networks such as this or ARC and the other is just I guess kind of recognize how long this might take and that's okay yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. It's really, really, um, really helpful. I really appreciate your, like I said, your honesty and your openness with sharing. It's really nice. Uh, not nice. It's really good. Nice to be able to talk <laughs> about it, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. Really appreciate it. I know lots of listeners are going to appreciate it as well. Yeah, I hope so. And um, yeah, I would, I would say, you know, reach out to I mean, I went eventually went for counselling. I eventually mm-hmm. found a very specific counsellor. But again, you know, that's another thing that 
finding somebody that fits your um, counselling needs is um, really, really important, probably literally a lifesaver for me. Mm. So I went to counselling for quite a long time. Um, again, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, People go to counselling for a lot less. So, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Treat it like like it you've been through a huge thing you know mm. don't try and brush it off so no thank you yeah it's great we'll have you back i hope <laughs> oh i hope so that'd be great <laughs> thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed it don't forget to subscribe to the podcast this ensures you get all of our new episodes as soon as they're released and you can find us on most podcasting platforms get in touch we love hearing from you Find us over on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Time to Talk TFMR. That's all for this time. Thank you and please take gentle care of yourselves. 